Hello, and welcome to Matt Gamecast, episode... Oh my god, what episode are we on? 14. Welcome to Matt Gamecast, episode 14, where we talk about Mac games, and today we're actually talking about more like Mac gaming tech and history and stuff, and less gaming. And I'm John, as always, and with me is Sam. Hello, Sam. Hello, how's it going? Great, nice to have you back. Been a little bit, been missing you, buddy. And Casper, who's recovered from being sick. Yes, it's uh, been a rough little time there being sick, but I'm glad to also be back. Also missed you. Not to say I don't love having Ted on, but, you know, more the merrier. He's been he's been uh, my my teammate the last few podcasts. Um, and, you know, what else were we going to talk about? Game stuff, history stuff, tech stuff. We'll see. It'll be fun. A lot of pre-chatter for Monday, uh, the 18th, for the, you know, new Silicon stuff being... They haven't said it's Silicon, but it's going to be Silicon stuff because they just had an iOS event. They're not going to have another they, one. They titled it Unleashed. So that's, that's kind of a clue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's going to be exciting. We'll have fun with that. So, but I actually really like it. But now I kind of want to buy a second one because I use them for my Apple TV, um, mm-hmm. for my like actual like TV watching. But the where I have to put it is like to the left of the TV. So it, I, I notice it. I don't think my wife does that. The sound is coming from like the left of the TV, so you can get two of them in like a stereo pair. But their price has gone like up on the recent because Apple doesn't sell them anymore. Okay, so right, yeah, they're like appreciating on the used market. It seems these days Excellent. they're not like going up like crazy in terms of like they're worth like a thousand bucks now, but they're they're not cheaper than they were brand new. Like they're. Right. They're just holding at the like 500 Canadian or everywhere mm. I see, or maybe like 450 if you're that's like the deal price. But. <laughs> yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I've, uh, I've found some wicked deals on board games lately, like, cause I've been getting into it. I bought a bunch of stuff. I sold a bunch of stuff. Um, actually, that's a whole pile of, uh, zombie side behind me. Space for basically, you know, hordes of aliens and space soldiers, and you shoot them up and complete objectives. Pretty fun, but um, that's only like half of it. I got a bundle, I think, worth like $450 for $200, you know, mm. and, and it was not even like new, it was brand new. And I saw it, I'm like, oh, holy nice. crap, like, is this guy insane? Like, why, how could he be selling it this low? It was on eBay. He did have the shipping incredibly high. It was like $60. But so I just contacted him and said, Hey, I'll buy this, but could I use my own shipping? Because I can do it for like $15 or $20. He's like, Sure. So I'm like, Cool. And same thing. I found a different game. Same thing. It was worth like four or $500 for, I think, $275. So yeah. I can. The fun thing lately I've been doing with board games and like digital games is I can play them and then resell them which I've done for a few. And in some cases, of course, you'll lose some money, but you get some money back, so that's still cool. In the case of these two I just mentioned, I'll actually profit, even selling them used, which is hilarious. So it's like I'm investing now, but I can just play them and then sell them and either break even or make money. It's like, works for me. (laughs) You know? I mean, even if you make just a small loss, if you, like, divide it out with how much fun you can have. Exactly. Like, how many hours, you know? Yeah. And in some cases, I don't know, there was a game I bought for 50 bucks and I must have played it for like 80 hours or something. And then I sold it for mm-hmm. 35, 40. It's like 35, I think, you know, it's like that. Just, that's pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To be, you know, obviously it makes sense. You can't do that digitally. 
I guess people used to sell stuff, but then serial keys were an issue because they were already used. But that's not true because I remember reusing my Warcraft 3 serial number like dozens of times, installing it in different computers and places and whatever. So I guess at a certain point they started instituting like online serial checks and then that would be an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They started getting a little too crazy with the DRM. Like I remember because <laughs> I, I switched computers a lot. I forget what game it was, but like it only had like I think three or five activations. Right. And over like right. a two year period. It's not that I had gotten five new computers, but I had reinstalled my OS at five times right and then also it's like oh you can't play this game you've locked out i'm like well it's interesting i I didn't think about that angle ted and i did do an episode on drm i can't i just uploaded them they were really delayed they were recorded and not uploaded until just a few days ago um but we didn't think about that angle um that like limited cd serial key whatever angle activation angle I do remember having a game, I don't remember which one it was, that had that issue. And it was even worse. It was like three activations. And it was like, that's just way too few. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like you use it once and then maybe like, I don't know, six months later you get a new laptop and then you right. have to reinstall the OS on your desktop like six months after that. And now, now you're done. You can't install that game. Yeah. <laughs> limited, limited. I don't, I don't know if they still do it, but... Not really. I heard no, for a it's... while that Microsoft did this thing where, with Windows, even if you like made a small hardware change to your computer, they'd require you to reactivate or something. Like even just I really swapping. I remember hearing something about that. Something. Microsoft, I think, has gotten at least on the consumer side. Like I, my previous job was in IT, so we gave Microsoft an insane amount of money on the business mm. side of things. But right. um, they don't care as much, it seems, anymore. Like yeah. for example, my Windows license key that i'm using for my gaming pc it's like tied to a microsoft account and it has been for like years and i've like completely have different pc than i did six years ago like new motherboard i'm on amd mm-hmm. instead of intel now like new graphics card everything and it's just tied to a microsoft account so they're they're better in that regard now yeah the nice. windows activation thing it, it's also kind of you don't really need it <laughs> like you can do 90 percent of things without act- ever activating it it's just fine the other thing you can do is if you go to like, this is like gray zone ethical, but Microsoft has enough money in my opinion. <laughs> um, if you go to like Goodwill or whatever, or some like thrift store and mm-hmm. you see like an old PC with a windows seven key, that'll activate windows 10 or windows 11. So you can yeah. just like not even buy it. You maybe should buy it, but like you can just go click with your phone camera. And then like, if it's windows seven pro, that'll activate to windows 10 pro or windows 11 pro. Or if it's windows seven home, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, you just go on your Windows 10 PC, hit change product key, and punch in this ancient key from some Dell small form factor <laughs> PC from 2007, and you're good to go. <laughs> I don't recall OS X ever having activations that I can think of. Am I wrong? Like They used to be years? paid, but I don't think they had That's like, true, own. yeah. No, I think even, even back when it was pay, you had to pay for upgrades to OS X, you could just... Install it on as many devices as you wanted. No yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, it was always like cheap. It was like twenty bucks or something too. Yeah, I appreciate that. There was a time where it was like a hundred, I think. Really? Do you remember the dark days <laughs> of uh, iOS updates being paid? It wasn't iOS back then, but I remember on an iPad Touch. Oh wow! No. There was like 
you had to pay to upgrade. This is like really early on in their in their TouchOS days. And then it was like it was like TouchOS or two or iPhone OS, whatever they called it. Um, um, if if I remember this correctly, it was only on the iPod. If you had the iPhone, you could upgrade for free. Okay, maybe that was it. But it was just like who's paying to upgrade the OS on their iPod <laughs> Touch, which is usually used by like. Well, one, one, if you had like one of the really early ones, you actually had to do one of those paid upgrades to get the App Store, and I could see that being something people were willing to do. Right, so. Interesting. Yeah, thankfully those days are behind us. Imagine paying for yeah. iOS fifteen. The dark say. days. Yeah. Um, so quick uh, pause on the convo. Seeing as we seem to be having an interesting conversation, I did start recording. I don't know if we'll like no that. Edit that's it a good, I was going to say you should. Um, start recording. Yeah, no, I did like five minutes ago. I didn't want to. Anyway. <laughs> so, but this is interesting enough. Probably not my board game ramblings, but this like you know actual tech stuff. Um, yeah, so I might as well just introduce the podcast, and we can actually continue this particular conversation, um, segue into some Apple comments, basically. I mean, that's the main focus of the, of the episode, is Apple in general, whether we talk about some games or, like, uh, Casper, maybe we want to talk about Sleeping Dogs, because I'm a big fan of the game as well. Um, the new Steam releases are kind of neither here nor there. Um, I would like to mention maybe Goose Goose Duck, ridiculous name, but apparently it's like... Uh, some people are saying it's like a better version of Among Us and it's Mac compatible and oh. it's free to play. So I think that's interesting. Um, seeing as Among Us is a, a $5 game and B only available through an M1, you know, whatever, uh, mimicking the, the app store thing. Phone, like side loading. Yeah, phone phone. yeah, that whole thing. So I've seen that, heard rather that that's a rather poor experience compared to having it. Yeah, from, I would you know, imagine. The real version. Yeah. It's weird they haven't ported that natively because I can't imagine that being complicated. I feel like they could do that in an afternoon if they really wanted to. I, you would think, um, and that's yeah. an interesting question why they don't. We've talked a lot about uh, that on the show, but it still remains odd, especially these like small indie games where tons of them will have Mac versions, um, either up front or shortly thereafter. So you can understand why big old, bigger scale or kind of these double A or even triple A ish games that are from like indie developers are not like big studios. You can understand why they may not have Mac support, why it's delayed. But like Among Us is like if it looks like a flash game or something, like come on, how complicated <laughs> can it be? Maybe yeah, no, I'm just it looked ignorant. Like, but... uh, like an old browser game from back in the browser yeah, game. Yeah. Like I mean yeah, I think it I think it's actually a rather fun look, but um the game systems themselves and are actually also very straightforward. You know, there's a couple of different maps, and I'm pretty sure they're all played the same, and you have your voting sessions, and there's some voice chat in there. Um, mm-hmm. And there's it's just like, yeah, seems like a pretty simple game to port, but either A, they don't care, or B, there's a reason unknown why they don't. Like, is their voice chat protocol somehow not Mac compatible in some bizarre way? I don't even know if that's a thing uh, these days. Does Among Us even have in-game voice? I thought it did. I, I've played it, but I've only played it with people I've got Discord connections oh, okay. to, so we just use Discord's voice. Uh, well, maybe uh, I've just seen people play it on Twitch before, because when it was all the buzz, I'm like, well, I want to go see what this game's like, because you know, I wasn't going to buy it and download it. Um, so, yeah, uh, people, I guess I'm not sure if they were already on Discord or they were voice chatting. I'm pretty sure they were voice chatting randoms, though, as far mm-hmm. as I know. But I, you know, 
my my knowledge of the game is limited so beyond like how it plays um the, the good news at least is that it runs perfectly fine under uh, virtualization so yeah i think it's also on geforce geforce now if i'm not mistaken um mm-hmm. the only reason i mentioned the voice chat thing is cuz i guess that wasn't a mac problem i was going back thinking of black ops from aspire black ops 1 um, where they took out the voice support, but that was related to putting it on the Mac App Store. Something about third-party mm. API calls. So, but I'm, I, you know, obviously this is like a dev question, and we don't have them here. Um, is the dev like one dude? Because I got to understand it then. If it's one guy and his game blew up, he doesn't have time to maybe port it to Mac. He just wants to make sure it's true. Tables it can be on the yeah, platforms that it's on. Like, oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. Among Us. Let's see. It's from Inner Sloth developer. Tiny indie team making amusing worlds. Oh, these guys made the Henry Stickman collection. I actually had no idea. <laughs> Interesting. I had the game on my wish list for a bit. Um, About. Let's see. They appear to be like 10 people or something. Marcus, Forrest, Amy, Victoria, Gary, Adriel, Torrin, Shop. I mean, there's like 10 names on this About Us page. We're a small indie studio, mainly based out of Washington, USA, created in 2015. Good for them. That must be so sweet to have a game blow up like this when you're like yeah. when you're that small of a team. Because they must all be like able to retire now. Hopefully yeah, they don't. But Let me see. One, two, must three, be awesome to have a game five, blow up. Six, up seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. There's 12 people here um, on the page. This is actually a pretty fun website. Um, yeah, good for them. I mean, yeah, their game's up to how many, like, zillions of reviews and sales and everything. I don't know. Yeah, they have over half a million reviews, which means far more people bought it because only a fraction of players actually review the game, I think. So, I mean, Can't five dollar game. That, um, yeah. that, they act- that someone actually did a Linux distribution called Amogus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like spelled M O A M O G capital O capital S right. So that's actually yeah. quite entertaining. Um, it it didn't really get supported for very long. It was just basically hey here it is here's a tar archive of it. You can download it, but then no maintenance after that. But still, yeah. Uh, I feel like one of those. Uh, what's the other one? The other like indie darling uh, Valheim. Um, mm-hmm. supposedly they're working on a Mac version like sometime and they are also a small team. I think they were five people and now they've added more, but they're also, um, Valheim's also in early access game. So they're still building it. Um, mm-hmm. but the game blew up so much. They were like scrambling basically to add more content and do more and onboard new team members. So, um, they said, sure, we'll get to Mac sometime. But, you know, it's not our number one priority, which is fair. And I wonder if Among Us is similar in that sense. Like, the game blew up so much that maybe they're just... I, th- I heard they were going to institute something like seasons of content or something like that. I don't know if that's free or okay. paid or whatever, but um, I just peeked they at the page. They added new maps for free. So. Yeah, their last update was October 3rd, so, you know, they're still regularly updating stuff. Um so that's cool. That being said, I think Valheim's a much more bigger and complex game than Among Us, and they were also a smaller team. <laughs> the Henry Stickman collection is Mac OS X compatible, 
Um, but then Among Us isn't, so that's it's just odd. I wonder. You, know, I don't know, because I'm not a PC dev, and I grew up with Mac from when I was like five or six. So I've always been on this Mac side of things. I wonder, and if it's as silly as like, I don't know. Do they think they have to be on the Mac App Store and there's some reason preventing them? They could only be on Steam? I don't know. You know, I'm just kind of wondering. Because they're on iOS already, though, so it doesn't make sense. Like, I don't know. It's hard to say without knowing what their yeah. tech stack oh, maybe, is. Like, maybe I can contact them and ask. And like, yeah. hey, can you get on our podcast <laughs> and tell us why you can't port this to Mac? Yeah, or, we're at the shop, right? Yeah. Um, who else had I contacted about porting a game to Mac? Who is it? Oh, it was, um, oh my goodness, I can't remember the name of them now. What are they, Sky Skybound Games, I think? No, that's not them. They made the iOS game all about, like, I don't know, oh my god, I'm so bad. I think it was just Sky, Sky Children of Light or something like that. Oh, yes, yes. That's um, Children of Light. Yeah, so this came out, like, two odd years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Since like day one on their homepage, or maybe not on their homepage, but like somewhere on like an FAQ or something, it says like coming soon for to Mac and PC. Hmm. So I actually used their contact form a month or two ago and messaged them like it's been two years and it says coming <laughs> soon, like any update. And they were just like, We have no update at this time, and if we do, you'll see it in the news. And I'm like, Okay. How long does it take to port this game? Uh, you know, off I, cause same thing. They also have active content. Latest update, in fact, was today, uh, two days ago and they have seasons. Okay. And so, you know, it's interesting. What's interesting to me though is in the case of, um, Sky Children of Light, I tried it on my iPad or when I had one. I don't have one now. I mean, it was awkward cause I was doing like this giant thumb thing trying to control it, but, um, it was actually a pretty cool game, you know, even though it's not necessarily the kind of game I normally play. It was very interesting as like a uh, like atmospheric, meditative, almost sort of experience thing. Um, like, it reminded uh, me a lot of um, Journey. From yeah, the exactly. And I did play Journey, and that was actually quite fun, even bumping into a few random players in Journey, which was the point ultimately. And uh, I found that really cool, so I wanted to check it out. Um, but interestingly for Sky, they don't even have it on – it's just not on computers, period. It's not like it's on yeah. PC, but not Mac, or Windows, but not Mac OS. It's just not. It's just only on... I guess they ported it to Nintendo Switch, I think. Mm. Yeah. It's on Nintendo Switch. Yeah, it is. I'm looking mm-hmm. at it right now on the Switch side. Right. Yeah. So, maybe, you know, I don't know. The Switch port, I guess it's a little, kind of old, not really old, but it just came out end of June mm. of this year. So, it's not like it... I, yeah, I wonder if Switch has stolen stolen like it's a bad thing but um a lot of indie games thrive on switch um which maybe devs didn't initially foresee and that sort of changed their plans when they switches i think is approaching 100 million consoles sold and maybe initially people thought it was just gonna be another mario and zelda machine kind of like the wii u right Um, but I think people are scrambling, especially the indies, to get their game out there because it seems they seem to sell like crazy on that platform. Yeah, that's a I think an overlooked point, perhaps. I'm glad you brought it up. I don't know my console numbers, like how many 
Xboxes and Playstations there are comparative to like Nintendo Switches or what or I guess whatever Nintendo Switch com- competes with. I'm not exactly clear. Maybe it doesn't compete with anything, particular like in terms of its uh I what do you just call it? Target audience. the latest numbers and it's it's at eighty nine million, which means it's outsold the PS three and the Xbox three sixty in in terms of like total yeah. Of sales. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those two stopped, I think, around seventy-five or eighty million. Right. Um, and then the PS4, I believe, is at like a hundred and ten or something right now, a million. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, like, the Switch is marching to be one of the most popular consoles. Yeah, of all one time. of the most. The uh, that's that's actually really cool. Even though I don't use it, but I think that's really cool. The price point of the Switch, how comparable is that to you know, like a full-on console? It's like I I think it's overpriced, but. <laughs> It's, obviously it's not because they're just flying off the shelves <laughs> um like a, a switch i believe is the same price as an xbox series s which is like i know they're like you can't really one's handheld and one's but like the series s is like you can play everything you can play like right. cyberpunk or the yeah. latest assassin's creed whatever you want on that you can't do that on the switch right. um obviously you have portability of the switch which you're paying for that to some yeah. extent yeah but like you basically you're getting a portable device with like a five year old phone chip for like three hundred ish American. Um, yeah, yeah, that's oh wow, so. it's that much, huh? Crazy. Um, I remember uh, when was I at PAX East? Twenty eighteen, I guess. Um, must have been unless it was twenty. It might have been early twenty nineteen. Um, and they had some switches there somewhere, and I don't know. There was like some zombie shooter game on it or something. I remember like oh, okay, that looks interesting. I'll try it. Because there was just some empty machines. Um, I found the controls awkward, but I'm not a console guy. I'm a mouse and keyboard guy, so that wasn't intuitive to me. But I recall, because, you know, I've heard, like, oh, you know, Witcher 3 is on Switch, or Switch right? And, like, Doom Eternal, and um, I don't know what other games. I think, I guess, what, Divinity Original Sin 2, I think they ported or something. All this stuff. Hades, you know, all kinds of games that are great. Um, but to me, I found, and I'm curious... Um, like, what's the, I guess, graphical limit of the Switch? I'm not clear. The game I remember demoing some zombie game was, like, frankly, not that good looking. Um, Witcher 3, that one, uh, that one, you can, it's a pretty good example of, like, because it, it's a nice headline, like, Witcher 3 is running on the Switch, and everybody thinks of Witcher 3. Well, Witcher 3 is a really nice looking game on PC and, like, console. It looks awful on the Switch. Um, <laughs> it's running at, like, an obscenely low resolution with like horrible frame rate and like it's it's bad enough that like i i have i should say i haven't personally played it but i've i own a switch and i wanted to buy it and after watching a couple different reviews they were just like if you really want to play witcher and you don't have any other platform sure but like buy it anywhere other than the switch if you if you can so it's yeah yeah. and like the draw distance is like zero <laughs> right like that, yeah so. yeah no that's what surprised me the scale like when i heard back whenever they ported it i don't know exactly what year that was but i was like how like it doesn't seem possible but i was also equating it with like a pc level experience so obviously scaled down but um you know we you know what kind of gamer are you right we had that episode and you know i just i guess to me witcher 3 is such this like deep absorbing game you really dive into like do you really want to do that, like walking around on your Switch or sitting on a couch or something? Maybe you do, but if I don't know, if you're on a couch, why don't you just grab a wireless controller and play on a 
an Xbox or PlayStation or, or even stream your PC through, what is it, Steam Link or something. You can, I think, shoot it over to a TV these days. And I don't know, there's all kinds of ways you could do it. Um, yeah. To me, like, again, this is just me. I'm biased. To me, like a Switch, like Hades to me is like a perfect Switch game in my mind, like my perception of it. Like quick, snappy, fun, has some depth, but it's not like Witcher 3 level complexity or anything like that. Um, the controls are well made for it in terms of like the way the characters move and you fight and everything. Um, yeah, to me, I can be, oh yeah, like absolutely perfect, like kind of game for this. Um, so I find that interesting, but yeah, you know, 80, what did you say? 89 million people. So, um, yeah, that's as of, uh, August. So it's probably approaching a hundred right by now. Interesting. Um, and you mentioned, uh, yeah, switch. And, and stealing or something like that earlier you said it was the wrong word but it made me think of like feral and aspire and some of these other uh, i don't know who else but they've been keep porting games to switch you know i get like a you know i'm on the newsletters and whatever and ding you know i'm like oh cool new announcement from feral and i'm like oh it's like total roar war roam on switch or something and i'm just like <laughs> i'm glad they're expanding their business good for them brings them more money i don't begrudge anyone earning more money for their business to themselves, of course. Um, but I have to wonder, like, how much dev time is, like, quote-unquote, diverted or stolen, again, quote-unquote, stolen, like, from Mac dev and just being put into, like, Switch or iOS or something from someone mm. like Feral. Um, do they have a separate team? Is it the same people? I have no idea at this point. You know, I haven't been close with, like, the ongoings of Feral in quite a while, so several years ago, really. So, not sure. But I that's the only I, stuff I see them working on. I do also wonder with something like Feral, though, how much of their time is, you know, spent on pure development effort versus how much is spent on getting licenses or contacting other businesses to try and, you know, even get to develop something in the first place. Right. Um, yeah. If they yeah. already have the license to do Rome, right? Then if they don't have anything else to work on right now from other clients, then might as well just port that to other clients. That's actually a really good point, and that's an interesting question. I only ever thought of the licensing in terms of like PC, Mac, whatever, or Mac in their case. Um, I wonder if like, yeah, contracts they've done, you know, also includes like, oh, we can also port this to whatever, Switch, iOS, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm -hmm. or if their contracts already didn't include it, it wouldn't be hard to go with them because they're already, they're very close with creative assembly and whatever. Clearly they, I think they ported literally every single total war, like since forever, almost every single one, um, and stuff like that. So, and what they're mm -hmm. big on the racing. I was just thinking that earlier today, actually, while I was doing some work, like the, the, like the clusters of genres Feral's really into, it's like real time strategy, total war stuff, lots of racing with like grid and, um, dirt and stuff like that. F1. I think it was Codemasters they had a good relationship with. Although EA just bought Codemasters, so we'll see if that actually continues. Oh, really? But, I didn't. Hmm. I didn't catch that in the news. Interesting. I like. I think. I think it was like maybe six months ago now or something. But okay. I think yeah. the interesting tidbit about EA buying them is that like EA kind of owns racing now. Like there is other studios that make racing games, but like all the big ones, I think I. I'll, I'll double check, but I believe they're all like under EA now. Like, like all the Need for Speeds and Need for like, Speed, F, even like F1 and like oh, um, Dirt and uh, Grid. Uh, do they still make Grid right. games? 
um, yeah. grid and know, dirt were both I know that's a, there's, I'm pretty sure there's like some arcadey ones like Burnout and I forget what they're called, a couple I've seen. Um, Is Burnout not EA? I thought Burnout was EA. I'm not sure. I just like it was back in the day, right? It was Criterion. I sure. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I think that was a studio. <laughs> it wasn't Codemasters, but yeah. is speaking of didn't they port a one of the Need for Speeds back when um, Trans Gaming with Cider was making a splash and it was even at I think a MacWorld or something. Um, I remember. I'm pretty sure there was a Need for Speed in there. This would have been like. 10 15 years ago i think it was around 2010 or something 2011 there was a need for speed game that ran on the mac back then but that was not a traditional need for speed it there might have been one as well which might be what you're thinking of hmm. but there was one called need for speed world which was sort of like a need for speed mmo kind of thing it was weird but that that's that had weird, a mac yeah. version interesting i just looked it up and end of 2020 december 2020 yay bot code masters for 1.2 bill which means Need for Speed, F1, Grid, Project Cars, and Dirt are all under the same roof. Hmm. I mean, a lot of I happen to play a lot of games owned by EA, though I generally don't necessarily like them a whole lot. I don't know necessarily who does. Um, but that I think that's mostly because um, I was following a lot of... Um, wait, doesn't EA also... Oh, wait, who owns Bioware now? Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. As apparently they mandated um the use of the Frostbite engine in all their games, like across every team, but then weirdly only had like one support line. So <laughs> multiple studios kept needing like help from this like one person or one small group, but they were tied up, so you had to like wait your turn for your problem so you couldn't progress on your game. And I'm thinking mostly of um oh my god. What was Bioware's last game? That like Anthem. Got, that Anthem. Thank you. I'm off one. with my names today. You know, yeah. I got big into Anthem. I thought it was really fun, but Bioware's had a rough patch. They had Anthem. Yeah, they are. That, it was Mass Effect Andromeda. Yes, they yeah. need some redemption with what they're working on: New Dragon Age and I think another Bioware or another Bioware, another Mass Effect game of some kind. Um, yeah, but you know, there was so many interviews and like, what do you call it? leaked confessions and notes and whatever. And apparently this was a real sticking point in the development was forcing everyone to use the engine, which they weren't familiar with. They were familiar with unreal or unity or whatever. And I think unreal engine. And then apparently that was less of an issue, but there was literally only like one support line and it wasn't a right. free. It was like, you know, you had to wait. And apparently that was a big problem. So I just feel like they're thankfully getting, I think moving past that because uh, the 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 gem of EA currently respawn who makes Titanfall and uh, Fallen right. Order they they right. use Unreal Engine for that game. Oh. You, mandating the engine would be a business decision because they have to pay either a really high flat sum or like a percentage of every sale if right. they use like Unreal Engine or right. I don't know Cry Engine or whatever. Sure, um, yeah. If they use their own engine, Frostbite, it's free in quotation marks. Right, they right, have right. To pay in terms of inefficiencies and stuff like that but yeah it's interesting because i remember seeing quite a while ago it might have been 2015 or 16 even uh frostbite whatever there's like a website frostbite.ea.com or something i'm paraphrasing um and they had a job posting for like a mac developer and i was like oh my god like you know battlefield 4 and whatever is going to come to mac this is gonna be really cool 
<laughs> nothing ever came of it now, like whatever, five odd years later. So, um, that was disappointing. <laughs> I wasn't a particular fan of Battlefield per se, but they are cool games. Um, having played a few of the, actually, I don't own any. I played some of the open betas way back, um, bootcamp, but, um, yeah, dev basically the, to get back to the main idea of like, yeah, what goes on with devs and why aren't things ported? Who knows? Um, and of course, all these umbrellas of companies owning other companies. And that is interesting because we see a lot of consolidation, I think, in a lot of tech, the tech sector, I guess, in general, tech slash gaming, um, various companies, bigger ones, snapping up smaller ones and scooping them up into their whatever, you know, their group um, for better or for worse, I guess. Apple's bought a lot of smaller companies and tech and stuff over time for all kinds of things. I mean, wasn't they bought Beats, for example, right? Didn't they? Like, <laughs> yeah, that was a smaller one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't remember. I just remember as like OS X developed and um, the iOS and everything developed and the hardware, like they kept buying up samples. Um, Shazam was a purchase, the music detection thing. So right. One of the more recent ones. Apple doesn't buy, I guess, compared to a lot of other people, that many companies. Like their most recent big purchase for them, it's like pennies. Was uh, <laughs> they bought Dark Sky, the weather app, and that is right. now the new like. That's why the iOS 15 weather app is way nicer. It's right, the Dark right. Sky app. Right. Um, but I think when they bought Dark Sky, I'm trying to look up how much money it was. It was like a lot of money for weather app, but like for Apple, it's it would be the equivalent <laughs> of me spending like a dollar on something. Um, sure, right. And this was like Apple's like biggest purchase in like five or six years or something. It was like a right. couple hundred million yeah. or something like that. Right. Yeah, mostly, yeah. Relatively yeah, infrequent fun. bigger purchases of other companies, but they do actually acquire quite a lot of smaller companies, so small that you know nobody notice. Um, they release a report. I think it's annually where it includes. We bought this many or had this many acquisitions of other companies. And ah. it's usually like in the range of 50 to 100 or something like that, I think. Um, yeah, one like, this is a really old acquisition now, but it's pretty topical these days, is the uh, the chip company. I forget, I forget what they were called before Apple bought them. But that's like the basis of like all the A-series chips and the M1 and everything. Uh, um, that okay. they, I think they partnered up with this company on like the early iPhones and then they bought them. Um, right. So that those whoever those guys are, they're uh, now under the Apple banner and they're making great chips. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like they buy a lot of stuff just to make them defaults. Like you mentioned the weather app and I can't remember what other tech or odds and ends over the years. Um, it's I guess I'm less clear on the gaming side why that happens. Like, is it just a. Obviously, it's an investment, like you buy a studio, like Bioware or whatever you're trying, or ID, um, ID Software, you know, you're trying to you spend a bunch of money on them, and then ideally they make great games under your banner, and they you make money off them in long term. Um, in the case of, you know, classic case of Bungie, evidently, they were really struggling back in the day when Microsoft offered to buy them. Apparently, it was, mm -hmm. like, problematic, like they were totally out of money which is why they took the offer. That makes sense. You want to make games, your business is having trouble, here's come someone with a bunch of money, sure. Uh, of course, Bungie's later now independent again, um, which I think is cool. Um, 
sort of independent sort of yeah <laughs> with a couple hundred million dollar investment from yeah chinese owned companies that's true oh i forgot about that they just <laughs> i think it's ten cents or, or the other one i always forget the other yeah, one yeah net ease maybe something um that's true it but, just so happens yes. they divorced from activism blizzard so yeah mm. to me and bungie's expanding like i don't want to derail but bungie's yeah. they're opening up new studios and stuff and they're oh, they're they're continuing destiny but they're also like making we don't know what it is yet but some sort of new IP. some sort of new ip yeah no, I, I put a lot of time in the Destiny on um, GeForce Now, mostly. Um, in some in boot camp, maybe. I can't remember. Uh, with a buddy of mine, we got into it way back in like 2018 or something. Because there was a free version and then like a discount on one of the expansions. Anyway, um, no, it really reminded me a lot of the old Halo, you know. And of course, I used to play all the Bungie games growing up. All the Myths and uh, Oni and all that good stuff. Um, of course, it always made me sad. Like, come on, guys, couldn't you put out a Mac version of your game at this point. But like, can they, or won't they? I don't even know. Same problem we were just talking about on the dev side. Like the game looks pretty good, but I'm pretty sure it scales as well. Um, and you don't load into giant open worlds. So there's a lot of instancing and like level loading. So it seems like on the before, anyway, I don't know. I'm just running my mouth, but it's like, it's, I feel like it's a game that could run on max, at least reasonable ones, but Maybe that's like the huge, we've talked about it before, so I don't want to go on about it too long. Uh, like the Intel problem of like the lower, on the lower end, the lower end is so <laughs> low with Intel, it's like ARG. So it's coming up with Silicon, speaking of Silicon, might as well segue into some pre-chatter on uh, Monday. We will be doing another podcast with whatever, you know, talking about the full release, full release meaning what we fully know come Monday, the uh, what 18th. So uh casper what are your you know thoughts hopes plans whatever you know based on any new computers they release yeah so i'm super thrilled about this i've been uh, waiting on a 16 inch upgrade to the macbook pro to you know get on the apple silicon uh, what do you call it? bandwagon i guess uh but uh yeah should be arriving monday hopefully um i say hopefully i'm like 90 percent sure it's happening um, and I think it's going to be super cool. Um, I'm going to pretty much get it no matter what happens. So I, <laughs> I don't really have like requirements in that sense, but I do of course have a wish list. Um, mm. but yeah, I, I have good expectations on the performance side though. I think performance is mostly going to scale in the direction of like power usage, right? So higher end requirements for like multi-threaded programs and things. It's going to go up, I think. But if you're just doing like basic web browsing, office task, whatever, I don't think you're going to notice any difference from hmm. an M1 machine to right. what I think is going to be called an M1X machine. Right. Um, at least not anything major. There might be a slight like clog increase or something like that, but yeah, I don't expect anything. You open on front. 50 Safari tabs or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um Speaking of opening several things, though, um, it's probably going to have more memory support than the uh, M1s that top out at 16. Um, I kind of expected to start at 16 and go to either 32 or 64. Um, maybe one of those things where the 14 will go not as high as the 16-inch model. I don't know. Right. Um, and then all the rumors indicate a 
at least starting with a 16 core GPU and potentially having an upgrade path to a 32 core GPU, uh, which is obviously quite a bit more than the eight core uh, that the yeah, M1. I'm wondering if they'll stop at like do some like in between 24 core or something odd, or just do a straight doubling up to 32. Um, yeah, it seems like quite quite the jump from 16 to 32 in one big jump there. Um, and one would think that there might be opportunities for like binning out CPU or GPUs that have faulty uh, cores, but I don't know. All the rumors that just point to those two configurations, and um, there have been some leaked uh, part numbers that also only reference two parts. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, but uh, it would make sense to have a, a middle tier in there where you you know could spend less but still get an upgrade from the sixteen core. But I don't know. Um, as it stands, I'm just expecting two configurations there. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned a, a 16 inch. Um, is the, is the rumors they're axing the 15 or just adding a 16? I don't remember. Do you know? The 15 already doesn't exist. It's just right. 16. Sorry. On yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So uh, I haven't I, bought a laptop, a bigger laptop in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> been on a uh, there are, however, rumors of a 15 inch MacBook slash MacBook Air, whatever you want to call it. Some you know, not a pro level machine, but right, yeah, either midway, just a MacBook yeah. or a MacBook Air, whatever. It, but that's mm-hmm. not for this one. That's in the future sometime. Sure, maybe it's not a hard, definitive, uh, likely rumor yet. Just mm-hmm. entry, starting up rumor thing. <laughs> yeah, no, How do I you mean, categorize own, rumors like that. Right? Yeah, <laughs> in Apple's own words, it would take till the end of 2022 to like fully release their basically like fleet of silicon products. So it's coming. It's just a matter of, like how much do we see of it tomorrow, basically. You know how much do they? Sure, but the, this one wouldn't even pushed? be like an upgrade to an existing model. I'm thinking of the the 15 inch thing would just be a brand new thing. So that's right. not even within that mm. time frame. Necessary. Interesting, interesting. Um, Sam, what are you? Another thing yeah, on sorry, the 16 slash 14 inch models that is kind of up in the air. Maybe, maybe not situation that I'm hoping for. But again, I'm gonna get one no matter what. <laughs> it's um, a mini LED display. Um, hmm. oh, so right. basically you'd get the benefits of the XDR panels, like on the 12.9 inch iPad pro and the, um, you know, big display, the pro display XDR right? Yeah. Um, in a smaller laptop form. So that would be cool, but we'll see. Hmm. So Interesting. That's sort of where that's at. Also more ports again. Um, I say more, at least more different ports, right? Um, at, at possibly in, um, one fewer of the USB-C ports, Thunderbolt ports, going from four down to three. But then, mm-hmm. you know, you get an HDMI port, you get, I forget what all the other ones were, but more different ports again. You know, MagSafe coming back, uh, but oh. probably in addition to charging via that USB-C as well. And uh, SD card reader again, at least. Right. Uh, yeah, makes sense. Might be more, I'm forgetting. but That sounds pretty solid, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam, what are you feeling about the possibility of Monday? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited for Monday. I'm probably buying one day one. Um, I'm not sure which one exactly, but I'm excited for. I'm, I'm excited to see what they do on the on the low end, and, and by low end, I just mean like, like yeah, the top end machine is going to be really nice. I'm not going to mm-hmm. buy it. It's going to be on my price range, but. Mm-hmm. Like for example, we right now we have a 13 inch M1 MacBook Pro. Right. Are they gonna have a 13 inch and a 14 inch MacBook Pro? That hmm. would seem not um, 
like no those are Apple too Apple doesn't hard. seem to usually do that like very so, yeah. yeah so like will they be axing the 13 inch pro tomorrow and like we'll just have a 13 inch mm. air um, or will the 13 inch pro remain as like this like budget pro and then the 14 is like the real pro and mm. I, don't, I don't know it's it'll be interesting I, I to see what they do I think that's the case that we'll have two the 13 inch with the M1 and then the Intel 13 inch is going to go away and instead of that we'll have the right m1x 14 inch that's my mm. potentially but i also wonder if they'll release in 217 m1x it'll be like an m2 because we are we are a year out like on the ios side we're at the a15 last year's a14 um maybe they have like an m2 in the base models and an m2x or something in the higher end models um with the m2 not really being much better than the m1 it's just a little like like the A15 on the iPhone side. It's like ten percent faster single thread and like twenty percent multi thread. Like pretty minimal. No one's going to notice that difference. But what it is significantly better in is power consumption and battery life and stuff like that. So right. maybe the low end gets a little tiny spec bump. But what I what I would care more to see in the low end is them iron out some of those annoyances that currently exist with M1, like only having one external display. That's the only reason I don't own one currently is because I need two external displays. Um, so not necessarily making it a more powerful, faster, more amazing machine at their $1,000 entry-level price, but making it just like the Intel MacBook Pro that's cheaper, or maybe it's not cheaper, I don't know. But the base 13-inch Intel can have like four displays. The M1 can have one. So just, just ironing out little... Annoying. I know most 99% of people don't care about that, but just ironing out those little first-generation... Uh, no, it, make, it makes sense. Uh, I know quite a few um, bunch of my friends are, you know, photographers, graphic designers, coders, etc. And a lot of them use at least one, if not two, extra monitors. So um, I can see that being. I understand it's not like the default. The average user isn't using two extra monitors or whatever. But um, for a lot of uh, professionals or certain users or whatever, uh, it is um, necessary. So I can see that being a big deal for a certain group of uh, customers clientele basically yeah for apple yeah um hmm. so tomorrow yeah. i'm potentially or or not tomorrow monday for those listening we're recording on saturday two days prior to the mm. presentation um for my personal machine i think i'm going to be ordering probably a 14 assuming the 14 and 16 are basically identical other than obviously mm. form factor um but if they do bump the thirteen in the thirteens to iron out those little annoyances, maybe I'll get one of those instead. And then I also right. will be ordering. I run like the audio and video for like a like a local church, and I'll probably be ordering a sixteen for them because they do like video editing on it and oh, stuff nice. too. Oh, nice, cool. So we're cool. using an ancient twenty twelve MacBook Air, and it sucks. Oh wow, it's awful. Yeah, <laughs> like the fans are like max speed. If you like click like two things at the same time, it's like. <laughs> It'll, it'll come up. Yeah. So that thing, that MacBook Air is on. It's just hanging on by a thread. And we're yeah, I mean that's what nine years old now. Speed. So yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. Most I only know a few, like one or two. Actually, my brother's one of them. He still has, I think, a 2010 MacBook Pro. He said he's replaced like various parts and this and that, and it's pretty. He's like, use it till it breaks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, he's he's pretty like the three hundred dollar iPad, and that would be like a massive upgrade, yeah, right? <laughs> um, no, he's like you know he he could afford a new one, but he's like 
he's he's just that way about his stuff which is good like why why spend money you don't have to um if he you know he doesn't have like he barely games anymore not really ever um you know if he did he you know because he's got a business to run and two three kids now actually new one recently so if he had more time for like entertainment stuff say the way i do he probably would have upgraded by now because he's like oh i want to play this game or whatever but da 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 um the last time he played a game was like follow three years or something um you know boot camp or something i can't remember what he used to play on the mac side but yeah sam what do you think? i had one other tip i wanted to mention is we met you mentioned john like the the total transition that over i guess we have about a year left yeah. i think on monday we're gonna see the chips that will also be in the in the iron imax and so the only mm. chips we all have yet to see will be the mac pro everything right, else right. Like, i don't think we're gonna see imax on monday but i think Whatever the 16-inch MacBook Pro has, maybe they'll add a couple extra cores or something to the 27-inch sure, iMac. Sure. But essentially, that'll it'll be the same chip. Um, same right, way like M1 yeah. is on the 24-inch iMac. The M1X or M2X, whatever, whatever they want to call it, will almost certainly be in the 27. And the only machine remaining will be that ultra-high-end Mac Pro for like 10 grand. Um, right. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that because my use case is twofold. One is, yeah, I do have a current high-end Intel iMac. Eventually, though, I will replace it with whatever, like, equivalent uh, silicon iMac comes out. Probably wouldn't be till end of 2022, maybe, or something like that. Because I would want, like, a really high-end one because I'm greedy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I also do use it for various gaming work purposes, so I do have a reason. But, um... You know, I am very, you know, the the current M1 stuff. Yeah, I mean, crepes, it's almost a year old. Uh, but it's very promising for what it is, even though it's, quote-unquote, lower end. Um, but it does a lot. So even, like, a doubling of that performance would be very interesting to me. Like, say, a 16-core GPU, uh, you know, 32 gigs of RAM or whatever. Um, that would be impressive. But, they, but if they could do, like, a 32-core GPU, like a 4X, theoretical 4X bump to performance that would be like whoa that would be that would be like really interesting so i don't actually need a gaming laptop honestly i need one more for like work and study um but i was just talking to sam before you hopped on casper um i'm gonna be doing a little more commuting these days like maybe more regularly on the weekends or something like that at least for one day and but then for like friend and family stuff, but then sometimes they're busy or not around and I have this dead space of like hours to fill. Of course I can randomly do this or that, but like I want to maximize my time, not just randomly do stuff. So one use case would, yeah, I want to do some like coding, study, writing, whatever, but also some gaming sometimes. So before in the past, I've typically just bought a low end laptop, like cheap, super entry level, whatever it is. And I'm playing like ftl on there like you know pixelated indie games or whatever you know because they just run great and simpler to play typically blah 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 sometimes i'm often just playing on like trackpad or whatever so i'm not getting too crazy with the games um but i'm a little more interested now i also have this convenient wireless trackball um oops i'm clicking around uh i'm kind of curious well a for a couple reasons i just want to test the tech basically if it if they do release something higher end on monday like a 32 core um or like what sam was just saying it's very like it's most likely the basis for the imax because eventually i want an imax i'm curious to see like oh if this is like 
the foundation of their, you know, for their bigger machines or their higher end stuff, I want to check it out. Um, but I can also guard, you know, I can, whatever, I can do some YouTube material for it, podcast material for it. If I, if I buy one, um, that being said, price is a thing, you know, if it's like hideously expensive, I'll be like, Hmm, we'll see. Maybe I'll go for like a something mid range. Um, I did have just one of the basic, the cheaper Silicon MacBook airs, um, the seven core GPU and everything. That was ended up selling it to my brother earlier this year, so I don't <laughs> I don't have it. Uh, other I have two older brothers, not the one with the ten year old laptop, a different one. Uh, his laptop had died altogether, so so I'm laptop less. Do need one. Will be getting one. Just a matter of which one. Not an entry level. It will be a mid range at least. But if they have a higher end one, and the price is reasonable, I'm probably be very tempted to get it. You know. Um, yeah, I'm very curious about that price thing because. As it stands, the 16-inch MacBook Pro is fairly expensive, I'd say, right? It's more expensive than the 15-inch ever was, I think. Mm. Or maybe the last 15-inch they released had the same price point, but it's pretty high. Yeah. And with the switch to the new models, it should be significantly cheaper for Apple to produce because they don't have to pay Intel and they don't have to pay AMD for the GPU. And they're removing the touch bar, which was supposedly a really expensive part to produce yeah. because it was no, like it was this like... OLED touch panel. It added like $500 to it because for mm-hmm. a brief time around when they introduced it, they had the same computer minus the touch bar and it was like $500 less or at least 400 four to 500 yeah. And it was like, that's a lot for a touch bar. <laughs> yeah. So people are saying that the, yeah. um, if it gets the mini LED panel, that'll be more expensive, but mm. that it won't be expensive enough that it'll outweigh the savings from all the other parts. Right. So I right. wonder if Apple is just going to take that as extra margin and keep <laughs> the same price. I don't think it's going to get more expensive, at least the, the starting price. But hmm. I wonder if they're just going to get higher margins on it or if it's actually going to go down a bit in price, which would be really nice. That'd be, that would be really <laughs> nice, considering they are, as far as I know, still the richest company in the world, unless that changed. Um, the, the one thing I'm not sure about, I know the 16s come with, the current 16 the intel ones 16 gigs and 500 gigs of ssd but if they do that on the 14s too they're kind of like upgrading the ram and ssd which i know doesn't cost barely it costs it's probably like three dollars for apple to do that but uh they will not pass out three dollars on the customers but casper on your point i was looking it up i have i have a like a fully loaded 16 inch for my work laptop the i nine ninety eight eighty H is a recommended price of five hundred and fifty bucks from Intel. Apple probably gets a discount, but let's say like I don't know four hundred bucks. And then there's obviously the Radeon chip, which is not going to be cheap. So you're looking at maybe close to a grand just for those two components at cost for Apple. And their cost mm-hmm. on this new chip is going to be just the cost of manufacturing TSMC, um, plus obviously R and D. But like, sure. The per yeah. chip cost is very, very low. Maybe like, I don't know, 100, 100 bucks, I would assume. Um, right. So theoretically, there's 500 plus dollars of margin that they have to play around with. But right. we'll see if they actually pass it on to the consumer. That would be really, yeah, <laughs> that would be super cool of them. Um, I mean, it. one of the main critiques of Apple from basically non-Apple people or even Apple people is that Love your stuff, but damn, it's expensive. Or, of course, if you're a non-Apple person, maybe you don't care or hate them or whatever. But, um, you know, that's like one of the main 
critical points is like the price for what you're getting. Um, obviously I'm, you know, a lot of us have paid it over time, but yeah, it would be, would be cool. Certainly as long as they don't increase the price, that would be great. But if like a small drop, that would be, that would be rad. No one will complain. <laughs> In fact, more people will probably buy their stuff because it's slightly cheaper. You would think. I mean, personally, what I'd do if, if they actually decrease the price a little, I'm still going to, you know, essentially pay Apple the same amount of money I would have if they don't decrease the price. I just get more upgrades. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The one thing I hope, really hope they don't do, and they haven't done it currently with the M1 machines, is when they, when they have like maybe an entry level price that's like somewhat low. It's like okay, we a thousand bucks or whatever. But then they have some egregiously like under spec, like 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 a one twenty gig SSD. A 120 gig SSD might sound good on paper, but that's really like 90 gigs after OS and stuff. Right. And then you maybe have like your photo library from your phone, which is maybe like 40 gigs with 4K videos and stuff. All of a sudden, your hard drive on your laptop, just with syncing to iCloud, is like 40 gigs, which is just, and like on the 27 inch iMac, they have those, it's spinning hard drives and like they're like $4,000 iMacs. So it's like, I don't, I don't care if it's high spec as long as, or sorry, high price, as long as like, I'm not getting some like insultingly underspec component at that price, mm, but and they right. haven't done that with M1's machines currently. Like the base Air has 250 gig SSD, which is I think totally fine. Um, right for an entry level, yeah. And like eight gigs is fine. Like it's not SSD especially and a spinning hard drive on the old iMacs. Those are two of the things. Like a tiny mm. hard drive or a slow hard drive. Like every single time you use the machines, it's gonna be bad. Um, right. So yep. hopefully they don't do that, but we'll see. I don't think they will. No, I've I've also had to deal with like for helping out family members and friends and things. Uh, these like really shitty. Sorry to use that word, but really really bad. Right, uh, Windows laptops where they were clearly just made for the lowest price point possible, no other consideration, and they had uh, drives, hard drives, or SSDs or whatever e- EMMC memory or whatever it was. Uh, of such low capacity that you couldn't install Windows updates. Like no matter what you deleted, you couldn't install a Windows update on it. <laughs> they had like 32 gigabytes of space total before OS installation. So there's there's no way you're gonna fit the OS and download an update on that if the update is substantial enough. You know. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. The, the one thing that put a really, really bad taste in my mouth when Apple was underspecking was at my two jobs ago, we needed a Mac for um, provisioning iOS devices for with Apple Configurator. And my boss is not really a Mac guy, but he he likes Macs, but he's just he's not really a Mac guy. So he, we convinced him we need a Mac. I wish he would have like asked us which one we need, but he just went on there and he says, okay, I ordered a 20 inch iMac. It was like three grand. It's going to be great. It shows up. It has a 5400 RPM spinning hard drive in oh, it and God. a $3,000 iMac with a beautiful 5K display and like i7. It's like, <laughs> it's like Apple, why, why, why do you, why was this yeah. even an option for like someone like him to, to even purchase? Right. If this was like yeah. a $300 machine, I'd understand, but this is a multi thousand dollar flagship machine. And you put this garbage hard drive in it that just ruins it every time you try to use it. There, there was an even worse version of this with the uh, 21 and a half inch iMacs because they had such a small price difference between the 1080p model and the 4k model for a while. And the 1080p model 
it came with like this 1.4 gigahertz Intel chip from a MacBook Air, where the 4K models came with a proper desktop CPU, and the 4K models came with a dedicated GPU, and the 1080p model didn't, and and there was like what 150 dollar difference or something like that. And they sold these for years. It hurts. Yeah, boggling, <laughs> boggling. Um, no, it is weird. It is weird. Um, especially when around that especially the hard drive thing i feel sam's pain because i used to have to deal with that a lot before the ssds or even when they introduced them i didn't get one because i just didn't have the budget at the time like i wanted one but i didn't want to get like a 256 one it wasn't big enough for me i needed i needed more room and i wasn't going to do some weird thing of like spinny hard drive external drive with like small ssd i just didn't want to deal with it it was like whatever i'll do it next time um, I think I did manage to get a 7200 RPM at least, which helped. Although it later, I think it like crashed on me and died in a year or two, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but I remember that being odd, same thing, the, the price thing and seeing the SSDs being there and it's like, couldn't you just default it in your very expensive? Yeah. Like three grand, whatever machines, three to five grand, like, I don't know, it's like having a really fancy car or whatever fancy thing you can think of. And like, it has some low-end component in it just because and it's like why <laughs> it's like, I even made this, yeah. uh, they even made the situation worse from the beginning because the first generation 5k imac that came out in 2014 its base configuration was a fusion drive with 128 gigabyte ssd and a terabyte uh, spinning hard drive the next iteration of the Fusion Drive only had a 24 gigabyte SSD at the one terabyte configuration, and you had to get the two or three terabyte to get a 128 gigabyte SSD with it. So. Yeah, somebody at Apple greenlit the guy working on margins a little too much on some of those older yeah. iMacs because it's yeah. like it's one thing to make extra margins, another thing to like how much does a 250 gig SSD cost Apple? I don't know. 10 bucks maybe how much does a spinning hard drive cost them maybe like six bucks and it's like okay let's right. for like four dollars cost you just like ruined somebody's experience on this iMac for years while they right. own it yeah so you could say four dollars and potentially ruin their experience with apple forever and they'll never buy a product right. again but right whatever mm-hmm. I, like, I like them overall but that iMac thing bothers me so much no, they don't do it no, anymore it's, it's fixed it's now true yeah it is fixed now but it took them and i'm like and I say this as a huge Apple person in general, um, it just took them way too long to fix. It's like Apple doesn't have like the resources or the manpower or the or the or the money or whatever to like improve this aspect, like this crucial aspect of their devices. Like, give me a break, you know. Of course they do. It was a problem, a big problem for at least six years. So yeah. I didn't just send a year or two, but like, yeah, it just dragged on and on and on and on. <laughs> I, I think the most egregious part of it too is like someone like us, we know that we we know we know what we're specking out when we order a Mac. So it's like we understand that like okay, we're, we we're mildly annoyed by it, but it's like okay, well I'll pay the extra hundred bucks. Right. Yeah. But like you have like I don't know your parents, or your grandparents, they just want an iMac. They they go on the website, they don't know what an SSD is. Mm. They see one terabyte and they think that's good, and they right. order a machine with a spinning hard drive. Um, yep. like Apple, like that, an, a normal buyer doesn't really know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they, you can't expect them to like, uh, the, to fix that at, at, during checkout. So it's kind of on Apple Correct. to educate them and being like, this SSD is way better. You should probably order that. But, um, yeah. uh, that doesn't really happen. Yeah. yeah I had this, a lot um, of, uh, so, go on. 
No, go ahead. I was just going to say as a quick aside, a lot of uh, like, why is my computer so slow? Complaints from like friends and family back in those days. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, it's because you don't have an SSD. <laughs> yeah, that's all. There was some um, event a long time ago, Macworld, WWDC, whatever, where they had like a small Q&A thing afterwards. And uh, Steve Jobs was asked if they were ever going to push the price point down to a point where Apple wasn't considered so expensive or a luxury Hmm. brand or something like that. Hmm. And his response to it was essentially, we don't think we're that expensive. We just don't want to sell things we're not proud of. We don't want to sell crap. And we're not going to push the price point down to a point where we can sell a product uh, perhaps to more people, but that we're then not going to be able to look them in the eye and say, hey, we gave you this great thing. And this is kind of doing exactly that, right? Selling a product that you could make something that you're proud of with a very minor difference, uh, but instead you're taking off uh, a small bit of extra margin just to eh, give it a, a significantly worse user experience. And I think a big problem here is that it's also kind of going to hurt the brand reputation. Because if you sell me device that's like awesome and i just love using it and it doesn't matter that it was a hundred bucks more expensive or whatever but if you sell me something that i paid big money for that feels like shit to use Mm. i'm not gonna come back right right (laughs) yeah it demands a certain expectation of uh experience performance whatever you know mm-hmm. absolutely uh well you know yeah probably telling that since steve jobs passed in 2011 i don't know there was some really dark years i feel like for the mac um i did a piece on inside mac games a couple years ago um but basically like there was it was around 2015 um mm. there was multiple macs like macbook pro i think the imacs Mac Pro was obviously in a very dark place at that point where it was just like we had gone like a really, really long time uh, without a single update on like mm-hmm. multiple like like cornerstone Mac Mac platforms. Um, and we're, we're, we're well past that. I think Apple a few years ago, they sort of recognized that the Mac platform was total disarray um, mm-hmm. and they have taken obviously pretty long strides especially with m1 being so as awesome as it is because i remember at that time i was working and i was really wanting a new laptop but i kept holding out for this is in 20 prior to like the unibody or no the unibody is really old prior to the 2016 macbook pros um those turned out to not be that great but i was hoping they would be um i was waiting and waiting and waiting and then finally i was just like okay order the laptop and it, the current one that he my boss bought for me had already been on the market for over a year and it just felt annoying buying a year old laptop but um, apple's past that point now thankfully and they are they are yeah. we've harangued them rightfully so um for their past misdeeds um but it's on a pretty nice track at the moment uh we've had a lot of praise around this podcast from all the team on um on the m1s and what they can do which makes the upcoming yeah monday just two days or less now because i think they hold it at what i think it's 10 or 11 uh pst which is i'm three hours ahead of them so it's always like my afternoon when their event starts it's always Um, 7 p.m here so whatever that is uh, apple time (laughs) well that would be interesting yeah 
I think it's 10 yeah, a.m. Correct. Apple time. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because it's my yeah. one. Yep, in your seven. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so, yep, the future is uh, very exciting, you know. Um, you know, the whole, like, uh, the Mac ports, Mac gaming ports and everything is still up in the air. But, will you know, the, con- like, definitive conclusion is as M1 improves, or Silicon improves, uh the 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 lower end and even possibly the higher end will also improve for Mac gaming. Like I'm really keen to see what an equivalent silicon machine, like how well can it do against, say, my current Intel iMac, which is mm-hmm. the best possible thing you can get right now in terms of an iMac, not like a Mac Pro or whatever. Yeah. Um I'm expecting it to outperform it personally. But that's my expectation. Will it? I don't know. I'm, that's why I'm like, I really, <laughs> I really want to see. Um, I think that's going to be a yeah. question of on what metric, right? What yeah. metric right. will it outperform it? Because that's it's true. It, I'm pretty sure it will outperform it in some ways, but I don't necessarily think it will in every way. That's fair. That's fair. My assumption for your, I guess some people listening, John has like a loaded 27 Chimac. Um, I think the M whatever they call it will be better at like day-to-day use like i'm opening up the browser i'm booting my machine blah 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 but i think your imac can really stretch its legs if it's given tasks that that can utilize all the all the cpu cores are especially that gpu like i don't i right. i would doubt i think you have a 5700 right in your yeah. imac 5700 xt yeah i'm i would highly doubt the gpu and i think it'll be really good in whatever they have coming up I don't think it's going to be better than 5700 because that's like a pretty high end <laughs> card. So it is. If, it's a 16 gig card as yeah. well. Uh-huh. So if you had a task that, that can use the graphics card to its fullest, right. Um, right. I would assume your iMac would still pull ahead. That's true. Yeah, I think that's actually true. any CPU task at all, I actually think the M1X, whatever it's going to be, is going to outperform it. But yeah, on the GPU front, especially if it's a memory constraint, like a VRAM constraint task. Right. Oof, that 5700 XT is not going to be beaten by a 16 right. even 32 core GPU there. Yeah, I the only thing I would expect to start approaching it is a 32 core whatever machine, you know, with mm-hmm. blah 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 RAM and everything. Um anything less I I wouldn't expect it, but so that's why I'm curious if there if there is a 32 core machine on Monday I'm like do I buy one just to test it out? But it's probably going to be pretty pricey. <laughs> so uh, un- so unless we're we also yeah. seeing like increases in the frequency of the GPU, I think the current right. estimates are that a 32-core M1 equivalent GPU just scaled up um, would not even be like significantly different to the uh, 5600M that's already in the highest end 16-inch MacBook Pro. Right, yeah. Um, but it is, mm. it, that's a good... Sp- uh, spot to land at if you're just a newcomer to the GPU space still, right? It, I'm not saying it's not impressive, especially for the power consumption that we're expecting. Mm, right. But it's not going to battle a 5700 XT. Um, sure, that's fair. Yeah. That's but again, th- yeah. that's assuming that there's no frequency increase as well, and that might not be the case. We might see both mm. an increase in the GPU cores and an increase in the frequency, and that changes that a, a bit as well, but you know, who knows right. yet. Yeah, the the main thing I think I'm excited for is never like whatever my use, whatever, but uh, raising that entry level bottom line in the Mac mm-hmm. in the Mac gaming space. Basically, yeah. that's what I think will be the most beneficial aspect. 
I'm just looking up some numbers now on barefeeds.com. Highly recommend that mm-hmm. website when he wants to look up Mac benchmarks. Um, it looks like the 16-inch MacBook Pro with the 5600M is about two to three times faster. Two, two to four times, depending on the, the graphics load. Um, like faster than what? Faster than the M1, sorry. So like right. DaVinci Resolve, they have some denoiser thing. Uh, it's four times faster than that. This random graphics benchmark, it's about twice as fast. Warhammer 2. 2, that sounds really old. Some some built-in benchmark. It, it, it could be Total War. Oh, that's probably two. what it is. Um, the 60-inch gets about two and a half times the frame rate, so 52 versus 19. And then X-Plane, um, 70 FPS versus 40. So maybe, yeah, I think we'd be sort of... I think maybe a little better than the 5600, but not like significantly so. It would be like hmm. trading blows, probably hmm. beating it on average, but losing in some areas. But hmm. but it's also going to be interesting how they're going to feed the GPU in terms of the memory bandwidth, because a lot of the time, the a major problem with integrated GPUs on Intel and AMD, AMD is that they don't have enough memory bandwidth when they're just attached to the system memory to efficiently utilize the power that's actually in the GPU. So it's not even just that the GPU itself isn't powerful enough, it's that it can't, you know, utilize the memory fast enough because it's just attached to system memory and doesn't have its own VRAM. Um, yeah. And the M1 that we already have does have an eight-channel memory controller, which is, you know, quite a lot. Uh, a regular Intel desktop just has a dual-channel memory controller, so, you know, quite a lot more uh, communication pathways to the main memory there. And you have a fairly big system level cache, and uh, the GPU also does have its own tile memory, but those are relatively small chunks of memory. And I wonder how Apple's gonna, you know, handle the memory situation there when they scale up to potentially mm-hmm. all the way up to thirty-two cores, right? I'm really, really curious about that as well because with with this upcoming laptop, it they they can get away with maybe having slower like my slower i mean it's still fairly fast for memory but like the current ones use l low power ddr4x which for memory is fast for video memory it's pretty slow but it's passable but like mm-hmm. so for this machine the m1 or sort of the whatever the laptops that's like passable but when you get into like a 27 inch imac where historically like with the 5700 that john has like they've really like flexed the graphics muscles in the 27 inch imax and then especially the mac pro hmm. um, i'm really curious to see if they'll get away from from in, like integrating the memory pool or and it'll, it'll have a separate pool maybe right, of ddr6 right. or something like hmm. that but yeah. that yeah complicates the chip a lot but that would fix the bandwidth issues mm. i don't know yeah i'm really curious to see how Whenever the higher end iMac slash Mac Pros come out, can they make as good slash better than what's available on the high end now of Intel? You know, obviously they would like to, but like when will they or whatever? I feel like I'm whenever sure. the Mac Pro comes out, and that might be another year, um, the, they have to do it for that because there's no way you can have like the current Mac Pro has, doesn't it top out over a terabyte of memory? If you need it, one point five, I think a lot. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So it's like there's no there's no way they're going to be the option. <laughs> let's let's say they go a third of that, five hundred gigs. There's no way they're going to have a five hundred gig like unified memory pool on a system on a chip. <laughs> That's just like 
that's not it's not possible or it's possible but not in any like practical engineering cost perspective so yeah um right. they'll have to do something for that so maybe they'll dies there. just yeah. have to destroy the whole chip yeah that's they'll have a, a chip the size of like an entire motherboard <laughs> so yeah they'll have to do it eventually maybe they'll do it right now with this new m1x or right. m2 or whatever right 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 cool mm-hmm. yeah maybe the i mean the future of apple is upon us already in a sense but it's you know it's incomplete right so that's why this is exciting in case anyone's only like loosely following silicon or hasn't really at all and wondering like why we're hyped yeah they already have silicon machines out they do but only for a couple laptops right um and no doubt okay they released an iMac version which is just they just grabbed the same stuff and shoved it in a whatever it was 24 inch iMac like that's not exciting um you know one like mid to higher end stuff is what we're getting excited about here for the laptops and whatever whether we see it tomorrow or as sam alluded to earlier probably will be the foundation for the imax later 27 or 30 there's a rumor they may do like a 30 inch imac um that's why it's hype you know for the more demanding users uh work or play or whatever uh it's just just good news and that's why it's super hype yeah the other um, so sorry i've talked like about no, a lot I'm but done. the last I'm thing done. that really excites me about monday is like whenever like we're seeing like essentially like the second version or generation or whatever of, of the apple silicon and i, I know people mm. might say oh it's existed for decades on iphone and it has but this is like like m1 was like really really good but it it has those those, those little annoyances little first generation like teething problems mm. and on monday we get to see sort of like the i think i think the difference between monday's product and the m1 will be way bigger than the difference between the m2 or 3 whatever they call it like the 2022 one right. and the one that's released right. on monday like tomorrow we're going to see the huge jump and then not just in like raw power necessarily but like functionality and and stuff like that and then everything down the road from that will just be iterative on right like what they're doing on monday I guess it's yeah. iterative on last year too, but sure. No, I, I know what I feel what you're saying. I, I, I agree with that feeling. I have the same impression. Um, I mean, we don't know for a hundred percent, but like between rumors and our own, whatever in history and our own thoughts and feelings on it, it does seem to be the case. So I, I agree with that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's um, I just want to just for completeness sake, point out that rumors also indicate that tomorrow, I say tomorrow too. No, Monday <laughs> will uh, also <laughs> bring a Mac mini with the M1X, M2X, whatever. Um, right. Basically the same thing that's in, or that's going to be in the 14 and 16, but in a Mac mini, just oh. higher end version of the M1 Mac mini. Right. And also um, there are rumors suggesting, and I don't think these are still sort of like beginning rumors and I don't know how much to, you know, read into it, but that suggests that, when Apple is going to scale up, potentially even on the higher and iMac level, but especially on the Mac Pro level, that the strategy they're going to take is actually just stacking M1X, whatever name, chips together in sort of like a tile or core complex, if you think about like the AMD chiplets uh, style of, of doing it. So instead of like developing a brand new core for a Mac Pro, they just take the M1X chip and maybe package four of them together on a single 
chip and there you have it uh, an m1 set or whatever interesting would that have to be um i can't remember what it's called i not hyper threaded cross threaded i don't know they have like what what they do now they link like multiple gpus together or whatever it'd be something oh, like that or something no? like uh, crossfire like or crossfire something. yeah that's what I'm thinking. Um, it's it's quite different on the something with a CPU because um, the communication would be significantly different, and they mm. would want to make it communicate as a single chip or at least a closely tied NUMA system, non-unified memory uh, architect, right. architecture or something like that. Access, sure. Um, where you would still communicate with it as if it were a package on a or single package, but uh, you might be able to optimize further if you think about memory locality and accessing memory that's closer to a single core complex or part of the chip. But uh, we'll see. It's it's kind of mm. hard to speculate on this because it really depends on how they tie the cores together. Um, you could do it in like a mesh system where there might not be that big of a difference between communicating with memory close to one core and another or you could do something where there might be, you know, it might be easier to stack several chips together, uh, lower cost and things, but there's a bigger communication cost or lots of ways yeah. of doing it. But mm. if you've um, known about the like way older Mac Pros, you could get dual socket Mac Pros where you could have two Intel chips in them at once. Mm. Uh, I think you could also do a G- dual G5s, potentially G4s back in the PowerPC days. Um, it's going to be more akin to that, but on a single socket and stuff. I mm-hmm. see. I do remember it. I'm positive it was on the G5s. Yeah, I had a dual had I... 2.0 G5 back in the day. Oh, nice. Nice. Cool. It's, um, that text called Infinity Fabric for AMD. And yes. like Intel, like, I'm like they're regretting this now. They were like laugh, like making fun of AMD for like their like glued together CPUs back in the day. Um, but now <laughs> Intel's doing the same thing because it just makes yeah. so much sense for chip manufacturing because creating like let's say like for the new m whatever let's say they want a 32 core cpu and a 32 core gpu Hmm. at your foundry creating a chip that has 32 perfect cores and assuming that's the maximum size that they're going with and 32 perfect gpu cores that's really hard to do but having a chip that's maybe two like 16 cores um pairings just like with whatever apple would call their version of infinity fabric you basically just get to like stack them as Casper was saying. And if you have a faulty one, um, you just trim it down to 12 cores or eight or whatever and uh, sell it in your lower end machine. And it lets you scale really, really quickly um, and really efficiently. Like um, in the IT world that it used to come from Intel's massive server chips, like they're like 30 core server chips. They would always lag like years behind their consumer chips in terms of the architecture they were on. And the only reason for that is because it's really, 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 really hard to make a massive monolithic CPU with like dozens of cores that all work perfectly and they're like bin mm. properly and they have high frequency counts. That's really hard to do. And that's why like Skylake, for example, which is Intel's 6000 series, Skylake Xeon chips for servers didn't come out for like years after the yeah, consumer yeah. Skylakes came out. The like consumer ones are four core. The Xeons are like eight, 16 I think I looked to like 28 core or something. Um, so yeah, that approach is makes a ton of sense and it it's cheaper and it's easier and it, yeah, it's awesome. Interesting. Right. So as I was thinking, as you guys were talking, um, 
<clears throat> like, would this allow Apple basically to get it out quicker, like less development, quicker, more like... cheaper? Um, yeah, quicker and cheaper. But at the one cost of this is that communication between cores could be a bit slower than doing a monolithic approach. But you know, might be uh, made up for by just having more cores at a cheaper price point, which is what AMD gave us when they started doing this, right? So, hmm, very interesting, very interesting. Well, yeah, that's exciting. Maybe, yeah, maybe we'll um, basically, maybe, yeah, maybe we'll see a speedier pipeline essentially for the new silicon stuff over the next year rather than like a year gap. You know, I hope we aren't like waiting till, you know, October 2022 to like see more silicon stuff after tomorrow. Presumably it'll be quicker based on basically everything we've been talking about here. Sounds like it'll be, as Sam was saying, probably more iterative um, rather than like huge jumps. So time well, will actually, tell. It, yeah. One fun thing is when Apple gave us that um, time limit where they said within two years we'll have moved the Mac platform mm. to Apple Silicon. Did you guys take that as being from two two years from when they set that, or two years from when they released the M1? <laughs> well, the M1 was released in November, right? Mm-hmm. And they said it at WWDC in June. I, okay. I took it as um, two years from their first release, so like November twenty twenty two. Okay, I guess would be my end. I date. think I did as well, but I mean, maybe at the time I took it like literally from June. But then later as like when they actually came out, I think I assumed, yeah, it would probably be like end of end of 2022 or close to the end of 2022, most likely. I'm um, running my countdown yeah. for June and oh, I nice. expect them to reach it, honestly, because it's a full year and we only have the M1 so yeah. far. We'll see. No, I obviously would prefer that by all means, sooner the better. Um, you know, let's get up and running with the new tech goodness, like... You know, it's it's so hype. Like, let's get it out there, um, like across the Apple line, not just contained to a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that would be that'd be awesome. Um, yeah, you know, they just yeah, like so many of their events. Like, what's their like their ratio of like iOS events to Apple events are probably really skewed. I imagine because they seem to have a lot of basically iOS, i wa- wa- Apple Watch, whatever type events. And like, there's nothing on on the Mac. Um, yeah, this is the first Mac event in a while, probably since last year's. <clears throat> I think um, so. M1 reveal. No, the iMac uh, came out this year. That was. But that did that get its own keynote? It came out together with iPads, I think. But it was still Maybe. part of the event. But it was like. Like I said, they just took the same stuff and stuffed it in a 24-inch monitor. It was like it, it wasn't new tech on the Mac front per se, other than perhaps display technology. Um, right. Yeah. But it's, it's still yeah. a drastically different user experience from a laptop or a Mac Mini, right? It is. It is. I shouldn't hate on it too much. I'm just like grumble, 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 because <laughs> I want like an actual like oh, quote unquote real iMac, not this like. Sure. laptop poser you know in my compared opinion. to the 21.5 inch iMac though it's a big step up from that mm-hmm. yeah no it's cool it's cool uh you mentioned displays and going back to the start of the podcast you were talking about your maybe not the start ha- whenever um, the start <laughs> of the conversation about silicon <laughs> um you mentioned you were hoping for the um what was it the mini oled or uh, LED mini displays? led, mini mini LED. LED. Yeah. what's the particular you know 
uh, why is that exciting? Why is it why why like why do we want that? Um, so just I'll just start out by saying that I don't necessarily think this is happening. I'd put it at a fifty fifty. Um, but it's sure. still an LCD panel, so it's not like an OLED, but it's an LCD panel with a lot of dimming zones, so you can control the brightness of the display more locally to specific parts of the display. So you can have some oh. parts of the display that are super bright while others remain pitch black, or Very not exactly pitch black because it's an LCD, but sure, darkish, sure. you know, right. you'd get a display. Um, so. The new iPad and, Pro is uh, mini LED. It's the one that came up. Nine inch pro. Sorry, yes, only a twelve point nine. But yeah, if you want to get all okay. the sweet marketing, you can go watch uh, <laughs> Apple's videos on that. I remember mm-hmm. seeing, like, you know, seeing that in an article or whatever on a product page, but I didn't look into actually what it was. That's why I was asking, so I didn't know. I think it has a peak brightness of like sixteen hundred nits or something like that. Where, um, yep. and that's in HDR mode specifically. But a regular iMac like you and I have, John, I think. The peak SDR brightness is like 600 nits or something like that. So wow. it's like a thousand nits more. Uh, quite quite I do, bright. Yeah. Well, of course, uh, listeners won't see this, but, you know, I use these computer glasses and they're they're yellowed slightly. So it actually dims my brightness, which is nice because it cuts out blue glare and whatever. Um, but there's times I actually find myself going like, have I dimmed the display? And I go and look at it. I'm like, no, it's on full brightness. I'm like, darn it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I would I would actually like uh, definitely a, not like majorly brighter, but like a little brighter capacity would be great. Uh, I well, would enjoy that. And the really cool thing about that is like brightness is good, especially if you're in like a, lots of windows and stuff. But the big reason why I, I think making a bright display isn't overly complicated, but making a mini LED one like that with like I think the iPad has like a thousand dimming zones or something. You can have like a 1600 nit let's say let's say the sun in the top right corner and you're watching right. like i don't know a landscape but then you can have like this dark like lake or whatever like in in the center and the difference between the dark part of your scene and and the bright part is like massive so you have this huge contrast ratio which just looks mm-hmm. really really good um oleds obviously do that because they have like, infinite contrast because black yeah. is is literally black um, but OLEDs can't do that insane brightness. So like, let's say you have like a movie and there's like a big explosion and it's like blinding. It's like, well, with the 1600 nit screen, you can kind of like, it's more immersive because like the explosion can like sear your retina. So it's 1600 nits. That's good. And, and it is, it is a peak brightness. It's not like you can run the display at 1600 just passively. The, sure. It would wear out right. the uh, backlight pretty quick. I think it can over, overheat everything, but it, but it can, it can peak to that the, during those HDR scenes. For the pro display XDR, don't they say that the peak is also the sustained? So like specifically for the pro display XDR, they can actually sustain it indefinitely. Yeah. But I for think that's the, you see um, all the cooling holes in the back. Exactly. <laughs> but I think the iPad pro 12.9 inch has, I think it's uh, a thousand passive. H- exactly. That's, yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, but that's only still in HDR. If you have it, you know, on a normal iOS screen that isn't displaying HDR content, it still tops out at sixteen hundred nits. Nice. And that's just a software limitation. That's just, I presume, for battery reasons or something. Interesting. All right, gents, I think that'll wrap up our podcast. We covered a lot about Silicon. What were we talking about before? Apple history. Kind of bashed them a little bit, but that's okay. We love them. 
That wraps it up. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks always to Sam and Casper for being here. You guys are awesome. Really love the tech stuff at the end, by the way. All those extra details. I like. I have like a very service-level understanding of some of this stuff, or in some cases, not at all. So I really enjoy hearing you guys either talk about it or answer my questions. I appreciate that. All right. See you later, everybody. Yeah. Cheers. A big thank you to Kevin McLeod for the intro and outro music. Be sure to check out his library on the web. You can find more episodes of our show on our website, macgamecast.com, or in all major podcast directories. If you enjoy the show, please consider commenting, following, or sharing. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time. A big thank you to Kevin McLeod for the intro and outro music. Be sure to check out his library on the web. You can find more episodes of our show on our website, macgamecast.com, or in all major podcast directories. If you enjoy the show, please consider commenting, following, or sharing. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time.